Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Our reading this morning is a bit longer. It's from Ezra chapters 9 and 10. So I would invite you to uh, remain seated uh, due to the length of the passage and to give attention. This is God's word. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery, for we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, What shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurities of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again, and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us, 
so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem, and that if anyone did not come within three days, by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month, on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open. Nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Azahel, and Yahzeah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabbatai the Levite supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter, and by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. Now there were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, Maaseah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives, and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Immer, Hanani and Zebediah. Of the sons of Harim, Maaseah, Elijah, Shemaiah, 
Jehiel, and Uzziah. Of the sons of Pashur, Elioenai, Maaseah, Ishmael, Nathanael, Josabad, and Elasa. Of the Levites, Josabad, Shimei, Keliah, that is Kelita, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer. Of the singers, Eliashib. Of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri. And of Israel, of the sons of Perosh, Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkaijah, Mijamin, Eliezer, Heshabiah, and Benaiah. Of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah. Of the sons of Zatu, Elioenai, Eliashib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zebad, and Aziza. Of the sons of Bebai were Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Athlai. Of the sons of Bani were Meshulam, Maloch, Adeah, Jashub, Sheol, and Jeremoth. Of the sons of Pahath Moab, Adna, Halal, Benaiah, Maaseah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Binui, and Manasseh. Of the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Ishijah, Malkijah, Shimea, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maloch, and Shemariah. Of the sons of Hashum, Matani, Matata, Zebad, Eliphelet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei. Of the sons of Bani, Maadai, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, Bedeah, Chaluhi, Veniah, Meramoth, Eliashib, Mataniah, Matani, Yaasu. Of the sons of Benui, Shimei, Shalamiah, Nathan, Adiah, Machnadabai, Sheshai, Sharai, Azarel, Shalamiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph. Of the sons of Nebo, Jael, Mattathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jadai, Joel, and Benaiah. All these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord God, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. I bet you were as worried as I was that I was going to skip a line and have to go back and read more of those names. If we count up the number of people involved, we get about 113. This was an extensive problem among the people who had returned from exile. And that long list of names gives us a sense of that. But what do we do with this chapter? A chapter that seems so far removed from our experience in the names, in the concerns, in the sin that they confront. In a chapter that seems, frankly, racist. We can say that out loud as we wonder about this chapter together. I propose to you that the main thing to see in this chapter, and we'll talk about the specific sin that 
confronts the community at this moment. But the main thing that arises from the chapter for us is a picture of what true repentance looks like. What does true repentance look like in individuals, in families, in communities? How does it play out? But first, let's look at the occasion for their repentance. What's the problem in the community? This problem of intermarriage that is the immediate occasion of repentance. Some of those among the exiles who have returned to the land have married foreign wives. Well, okay. What's the big deal? Well, first we have the clear teaching of the Pentateuch. Moses, on multiple occasions, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, instructs the people of God not to marry among the peoples of the lands. If you were with us in Sunday school this morning, you you saw that Abraham already has a concern that Isaac not take a wife from among the surrounding peoples, the, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, right? all of the who dwell in Canaan. And the Pentateuch also makes clear the why. Why should we not marry among the peoples of the lands? It's lest their daughters lead your sons astray. Lest the worship of the peoples surrounding view. Their abominations which fill the land come to characterize the worship of your sons, your children, your grandchildren, and future generations. The clear teaching of the law that Ezra has come into the land to expound is to not take wives from the surrounding peoples. A pressing issue for this community who has returned from exile in Babylon is not just the teaching of the Pentateuch, but the example of Solomon and Solomon's apostasy. We read in the book of Kings that Solomon took foreign wives. He multiplied wives as Deuteronomy had said the king ought not do, and what comes to characterize Solomon's life. But a chasing after not foreign women, but foreign gods. As he builds them sanctuaries so that they can worship the gods of the lands they came from. And then he joins in that worship alongside them. So that God determines that he will take ten tribes away from Solomon. He will divide the kingdom because of Solomon's apostasy. And then in the generations that follow, the northern kingdom completely disappears. Because they continue that apostasy as they worship foreign gods, and God wipes them off the map and punishes Judah as their leaders likewise follow 
in the worship of false gods. So they have before them the clear teaching of the Pentateuch. They have before them the reason for the exile from which they've finally returned. And then they come to applying that law and that example in their own day. So the leaders of the people come to Ezra to confess this sin. Trembling at God's word and confessing it's not just Joe Judahite who lives down the street. But the leaders of the people have been first among those who are marrying foreign women. That raises a question for us. Is this a racial concern? Are they concerned about the ethnicity of the people of God, that the the people who've returned from Judah will be gradually bred out as foreign women or brought in? Or is this a fundamentally religious concern? Well, the difficulty for us is that In Ezra's time, the religious division fell along largely ethnic lines. And so it's easy to read this story and see that as the main concern. But we have to remember in the midst of that the example of Ruth. Ruth the Moabite who left her family and her people and her land behind and cast everything on the Lord and became an ancestress of David and of Christ. We must remember Rahab, one of the women of the people of the land, who likewise ventured her life on the trustworthiness of the spies and the faithfulness of their God, and who likewise became a bona fide Israelite, also incorporated into the lineage of the Messiah. We must bear in mind the mixed multitude who go up with the Israelites out of Egypt. And we must remember from earlier in this same book, in chapter 6, At the end, as they celebrated the Passover, we're told in verse 21 that it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. The concern is not ethnic, but religious. The concern is faithfulness to the Lord. The concern is that they have married foreign women who have not left behind those foreign gods, who will then lead their husbands and their children astray into the worship of false gods. A terrifying 
possibility for them to contemplate as they seem so fragile in a land surrounded by peoples who oppose them. Where one moment they're in the favor of the king of Persia and the next moment they're not. What will become of them in this situation? What will become of them if as a community they incur God's wrath? What will become of them if their children turn their back on the Lord? This is the sin that occasions this episode of repentance. Before we consider the repentance, we might ask, well, what does this have to say for us? If the concern is primarily religious and not ethnic, despite how it's been applied at different moments in church history, how do we understand this? Well, if you happen to be one who's looking for a spouse, there's a clear warning here, as Paul echoes in the New Testament, to marry in the Lord. That your own life, that your joining together would be in the Lord. That you might raise children together in the Lord. That the Lord's faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to him might be carried forward into succeeding generations. What about the one who wakes up and realizes that the one laying in bed next to them does not love the Lord? This is another situation where our, or an area where our situation is different than the time of Ezra, because Paul also makes clear in 1 Corinthians do not enter into a marriage where you will be equally unyoked. But at a time when the gospel is spreading among peoples who do not know the Lord, and so in many households, One spouse comes to faith, but the other does not. Paul says, if they will remain with you, stay. Perhaps, perhaps the light of the gospel will shine in that marriage so that they will come to know the Lord. So that your children may be raised in the church, may be regarded as holy. And so do not use it as an occasion or excuse for divorce. But if they will stay, you should stay. There's another angle even here in Ezra 9 and 10. The touches on Paul's instructions essentially do not look for an occasion to separate if they are willing to stay. Because if we read Malachi, Malachi, which says so clearly God hates divorce, we learn from Malachi that the leaders who are leading the community in this sin have put aside. Israelite wives to marry these foreign women. 
whether it's for economic gain or for clout or to climb the ladder of ambition in the community. The wives they brought back from Babylon or whom they found among their people no longer suit their purposes. And so they found occasion to put them away so that they can marry these foreign women. See the danger that poses. We see the danger to the people of God, to the community, to coming generations. And so, beloved, again, I would say, echoing Paul and the New Testament and in light of this passage, be wary of entering into a marriage where you know you will be unequally yoked. But if you find yourself there, Stay. Stay on your knees in constant prayer. But nevertheless, the Lord would have you stay. What then does true repentance look like? As this is brought to light, as it's confessed to Ezra as Ezra prays on behalf of the community and the community turns and responds. Well, first, repentance involves conviction. As Ezra has been teaching and applying the law, as they have come to understand God's commands, they are struck by God's law says, do this, and they have done not that. As God's law says, do not do that, and they have done that. First, they are struck by conviction. The teaching of God's law, its application to their lives, their meditation on what it says, the work of the Holy Spirit has brought them to a place where they understand, they recognize what God's law says and where they are out of accord with God's commands. In raising children and leading them through an understanding of repentance and right being sorry and uh, seeking forgiveness from your siblings, right? This is the first step in true repentance, and it's often one of the most difficult to get across, right? Like, I understand that my sibling is mad, and I understand that dad doesn't like this, but what did I do wrong, right? And the hands on the hips, there. They come along with that. But that is not how we would desire to interact with the Lord. Conviction is a grace that God grants to us. We can understand where we have run afoul of his commandments. We see that in the officials who bring this report to Ezra. 
We see this in Ezra and his confession that God's law said not to do this. And yet we did. But notice that this is not something heavy handed that is asserted and then pressed upon the people. But that as Ezra deals with the Lord in prayer, as the elders bring this confession to Ezra, the people are pricked to the heart. And they're convicted themselves of their sin. And that leads to the next thing that repentance involves. Repentance involves conviction, an understanding, a knowledge of God's commands and where we have transgressed or fallen short. But it also involves confession. Ezra prays on behalf of the community. He acknowledges their sin, describes what they have done. First verse of chapter 10, while Ezra prayed and made confession, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. Because his behavior was rather curious. No. For the people wept bitterly. And then Shechaniah, a a representative of the people, stands up and addresses Ezra and says, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. The conviction issues in confession. A stating, a recognition and a stating before the Lord where they have transgressed and the people likewise as they interact with Ezra and the leaders confess their sin we see that as they're standing in the rain and Ezra addresses them in chapter 10 verses 11 now then make confession verse 12 all the assembly answered with a loud voice it is so Then they negotiate how it is best dealt with. Repentance involves conviction. It involves confession. Repentance also involves conformity. They're not just touched by a knowledge of how they have broken God's law. They don't just name what they have done before the Lord, but they seek To obey, to conform to what God's law requires of them. As those who tremble at God's law, they seek to obey his commands. And we tremble at the consequences of their sin as it unfolds that wives and children are put away in this chapter. They are separating themselves from those who would lead them astray. Remembering what's been described earlier in Ezra and exemplified in the lives of others from outside Israel, they are separating themselves from those who did not or would not become themselves worshipers of the Lord. 
Repentance involves conviction. It involves confession. And it involves their desire to obey. To seek to conform themselves to God's law. That's hard. As we think about repentance in our own life, right? We get conviction. It happens. We try and quiet that little voice in the back of our head that says, don't do that. Right? Or you ought to. As familiar as we are with it, we know what conviction is like. We know what confession is like. Though we may, again, seek to avoid it. And yet it's another step, sometimes a very painful step, to try and turn our back on the sin that we love more than we ought, and to seek to walk in obedience. And yet this is what God requires of us. This is what repentance involves. Conviction, confession, and conformity. We have to recognize that difficulty. And that difficulty is recognized here in the chapter. This is a sin prevalent in the community. If we were to count, 113 people are named as involved, and that's just heads of household. There are 12 families of the people of Israel specifically named. And whether that means that's representative of others whose names are not written down for us or whether that's the totality, we don't know. But notice the role of the elders. And that's where we see that Repentance involves conviction and confession and conformity. And most of those things are directed at individuals. But this is communal. This process of confronting and rooting out and dealing with sin is communal. Because repentance also often involves counsel. It requires the involvement of shepherds in the lives of their people. Speaking and teaching and applying God's word to the lives of those under their care. This is something we bristle at. We have a language to describe it, right? We call it meddling. We don't like it. It's okay when the preacher is talking to somebody sitting at the other end of the pew, right? And sometimes we give them a sideways glance to see if they're taking notes. We kind of hope they do, right? Or we, or we share a sermon on Facebook hoping that that one relative is going to hear it. But it's different when God's word is applied to me. When my phone rings and I look and it's and it's one of the elders. Right. Or when someone 
comes up after service or after Bible study and puts their arm around me and wants to talk. And yet, would repentance have come in this community if their leaders had not become involved? And the leaders are not exempt from the sin themselves. We're we're told that they are chief in leading the people in this sin. So whether God has pricked the conscience of leaders involved or brought it to the attention of other leaders who are not, they come together, they speak with Ezra, they consider God's law, they pray, they assemble the people. Brothers and sisters, True repentance often involves counsel. If we want to grow in Christ, we must be open to being shepherded by our shepherds. To having others speak the word of God into our life. To point us to scripture. To point to scripture with one finger in our life with another and say, brother, these don't match. Sister, what are you doing? Beloved, that is a means of grace to us. Uncomfortable though it be. Yes, we must avoid the the specific sin highlighted in this chapter. But also see the teaching across these two chapters of, of true Repentance, as God's people are convicted of their sin, as they make confession to the Lord, not saying, oh, Lord, I have sinned, but getting specific and particular, naming what they have done, seeking, not presuming, but seeking the Lord's forgiveness. Desiring with God's help to follow that up with obedience. And see the work of their leaders throughout. In pointing them to, in leading them through, in praying with and for them, and in applying God's word to their lives. Beloved, praise God that he has provided such Shepherds for his church. May the Lord raise up elders like these. May our elders, may I as a minister be like these leaders. Confessing our own sin. And showing our people how God's word touches theirs. And notice that this process of repentance, this conviction, this confession, this conformity is not something crushing. Because hear the voice of the leader who speaks first in response to Ezra's prayer. In chapter 10, verse 2. Shechaniah speaks up and he says, We have broken faith with our God 
and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Beloved, repentance speaks of hope. If you're experiencing conviction, that speaks of the hope of forgiveness. How terrible would it be to be left with no conviction at all? Let us pray. Lord God, may we learn from these chapters at the close of the book of Ezra what true repentance looks like. As we consider and ponder and meditate on these things, may it bear fruit in our own lives. Would you lead us away, protect us from specific sins, such as joining ourselves to those who do not love you. But Lord, as we sin, may you grant us repentance. Convict us of our sin. Call us to confession. Grant us new obedience. And strengthen us throughout with the knowledge of forgiveness in Christ. That there remains a hope for the people of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.